I heard some great news, that Jesus Christ was crucified, he bled and died to save our lives. All right, thank you, hallelujah. That's great news. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a plan to ensure that your decision-making is loyal to Jesus Christ? My guess is that you might have some sort of random idea, but you don't necessarily have a good strategy. And in fact, I'm pretty convinced that uh, one of the great mysteries of life is finding the key to making great decisions, God-pleasing decisions, I might add, which is the difference between great joy and great sorrow in our lives. The problem seems to be the sheer magnitude or the sheer complexity of conflicting interests in virtually every decision that we make. Competing interests between the flesh and our emotions, our ambitions, and layered over top of all of that if you're a believer is the conflict of the kingdoms, the kingdom of wickedness that seeks to drag you away from being loyal to Christ in your decision making. But we know that loyalty to our king is the better choice always. So, the question that uh, I want to explore this morning is, how did Christ win the victory over tempting choices that the first Adam failed to win and got us in this fix that we're in? Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 4? And um, decision-making that is loyal to Christ is the strategic area in our lives for sanctification. It, it may be the most important thing we learn in terms of our behavior with respect to loyalty to Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is that it was a bad decision, one bad decision, that put the human race where it is today. Think about that. One bad decision. And uh, therefore, it seems to me that it's pretty important that we learn how to make decisions that are good decisions, that are loyal to Jesus Christ. I can assure you that if you live randomly, if there's a free agency to your decision making, it is very unlikely that you are loyal to Christ in your decisions. So with your Bibles open this morning, we are, are going to cover a, a fairly large section of scripture, but only zero in on, on one smaller area. We're really covering from Matthew 1.18, right to, to 4, verse 11. But I want to zero in this morning on a particular section and refer back a couple of times to other areas in the, that long text. I want to look primarily at the temptations that were put upon Christ. I want to begin at, at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying... I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Now, this is the, the inauguration or the beginning of the the the, uh, the primary beginning of the earthly ministry of the Son of God. Verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, 
This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, note, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father and our God, instruct our hearts this morning in this vital matter of decision-making that is loyal to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for our Savior. Thank you that he's won the battle for us. He's won the victory. Thank you for his power that is promised to us through the Spirit of God. I pray, Father, this morning that we will not take lightly this teaching, but that we will realize that this sets us up for making choices that that lead us in paths of righteousness for your great namesake. Oh God, I pray this morning that we will see the huge value, the upside value to our lives and our hearts and the lives of our family and, and our church as God's people uh, are, are um, strategic in their decision making. Father, I pray that we might realize that uh, our sanctification, our moving forward and growing in Christ is directly related to making godly decisions, to making decisions that are demonstrating that, that you are king of kings in our lives, that you, we are loyal to you. So I pray, Father, that, that your spirit would motivate our hearts today and challenge us as we unpackage this. I pray, Father, that we will uh, understand what you have for us and that in the understanding of it, uh, we will uh, be hungry for it and see our lives transformed by your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you decide, and I pray to God you will, for loyalty to Jesus, then three temptations must be overcome, or at least three categories of temptation must be overcome. Uh, and and I, I would say to you that it's not so much uh, learning loyalty, as I said to you before, but this is what loyal people do. Uh, Jesus demonstrates loyalty to the Heavenly Father, and this is what, how loyal people to the Jesus Christ react to temptation. That's what I want to show you this morning. Um, there are various levels of battle that you must face in this particular section. And I, it seems to me that it, there's, there's these three levels that, that uh, are, are competing interests in our life. It's the flesh and, and the emotions and the ambitions are, are significance. And I'll show you that as we open it up, the text. 
So these layers of loyalty are, are played out for us here in our decision making. The questions that are before us is, will it be flesh or will it be faith? Will it be uh, emotions or will it be faith? Will it be ambitions or will it be faith? And, and I want to say at the, at the outset there, that there's nothing wrong with flesh, there's nothing wrong with emotions, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. We are made with, physically, we are flesh and blood. Uh, we are emotional people. And, and we are, are created for, with ambition and significance. And so all of that is true. And that's where we're preyed upon by the enemy. At, the, at that, those levels of our lives. I also want to say at the beginning that while these temptations were placed upon Christ, um, in, in effect, ultimately they became tests of his loyalty to the Heavenly Father. And uh, Jesus passed, of course, with flying colors as we would expect him to. And, and uh, what we needed him to because he became our champion where the first Adam failed, the second and final Adam succeeded. And uh, that's what this test is all about. But we need to understand in our lives as well that we are regularly tempted in the areas of our flesh, our emotions, and our ambitions but in fact, God permits those temptations to come into our lives as much as we wish, well, why doesn't he just kill temptation so we don't have to worry about it anymore? Well, God allows those temptations to be turned to tests in our lives to strengthen us when we win and we can, through his power, have victory and be strengthened in our resolve and faith before God. And so temptations and Testing are the flip side, really, of the same coin. And so uh, that's what we're talking about here, is passing the test, of succeeding the test. Uh, of, um, it, it will strengthen your faith in decision-making. Satan uses um, these areas to tempt us away from God, but God will use this to strengthen our faith. So the first one that I see here, of course, in verse 3 of chapter 4, verse 4, is the temptation to depend on self. Uh, this is the temptation to flesh, the temptation to our physicality. Um, you know, it, this is not a new thing, and it will, it, we're not going to end this today. It will continue to be uh, the, 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 um, the marketplace with which Satan... Uh, visits our lives, it will be at the level of flesh and testing us or tempting us in this area. It started at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Satan tempted the flesh of Eve, go ahead and harvest that fruit. You want to, it's, it's uh, physically appealing to you, so go ahead and harvest that fruit. Pick, pick your flesh over faith in God. Uh, we know in, in even studying the situation with Herod that that when the uh, Magi came and, and uh, he wanted to know where the Messiah was to be born um, and, and the pre presentation of the scriptures were told to him by the chief priests and the, and the teachers of the law and told him that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Um, as far as Herod was concerned, it was all about protecting his position, protecting his flesh, protecting himself physically, rather than seeing the, the spiritual wonder that was placed before his very eyes and, and the great privilege that he had to be king of the land when the great king of the universe was, was to present himself. All he was caring about is his own flesh, his own physicality, his own position, his own power. But Jesus, our champion who was also presented with the same type of temptation, go ahead, make bread, um, 
we see resisted it. Now, in each case, the tempter tries to get the individual to treat God's word as an opportunity to become more in independent from God. Notice that? Whether it was God's word to Eve, and Satan twisted that with her, and, and tried to tempt her to, in the utilization of God's word, become more independent from God than dependent upon God. With Herod, the word of God came to him of where the Messiah would be born. Rather than use that word to become more dependent upon God, he used that word to become less dependent upon God. And now Satan is coming and tempting the Son of God and saying, why don't you just go make bread? Why don't you just become more and more dependent upon yourself rather than dependent upon the Heavenly Father? Each case, the tempter will come and seek to use physical temptations to try to lure you to become more dependent upon the physical, upon yourself, than dependent upon God. And it's absurd. It's absurd to be using the word of God to depend upon yourself for personal gain. But that's what the temptation is. And in each of these cases, in the right, the, the, the decision was between dependence on God or independence. The tree, the fruit, was a test of dependence versus independence. The prophecies to King Herod, to Herod, were where to find Jesus, how to become closer, drawn nearer to the Lord rather than further away from him. And the point of the incarnation was that Jesus, the Son of God, might experience humanity in its fullness. Not to use miracles to get himself out of every jam. It was to become dependent upon the Heavenly Father in a human setting so that he might experience the full range of the human experience. So you see here that in each of these cases, the temptation was not to rely on God, was not to trust in, in his word. As you follow along in how Jesus faced this temptation, verse 4, he says, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, again, at the outset, the key challenge to every temptation is to utilize the truth of God's word. We see that at the very surface level. That's what Christ did. That's the, the ultimate counter. That's, that's the, the, the strategy, the plan. But, but look closely at this. There are two key words, live and alone in that verse, verse 4. Live and alone. Satan's temptation was, go ahead, make bread that you might live. And Jesus responds to him to say, but wait a minute. The word of God has already taught us that man does not live by bread alone. The material thing that I could produce might be good, but it wouldn't be good enough. See, th this is the point that we need to understand about our flesh and about the physicality of our world around us. We can stuff ourselves with bread over and over again, but it doesn't guarantee that we will live. We are dependent creatures, not on food, not on physicality. 
We are dependent for our lives on the living God. The only reason that we're alive here this morning is not because we had breakfast. We're alive here this morning because God gave us the breath of life. God allowed us to live another day. And we live because of God and God alone. And so uh, Jesus was thwarting this temptation to rely on ourselves and become independent from God as an absurd idea, making the point that we're dependent creatures for life. Now, God has made physical, us physical and has made physical things to sustain our lives, but ultimately, it's not bread that's keeping us alive. It's God that's keeping us alive. Man does not live by bread alone, but by Alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. The material can't bring life. Only God can. We are dependent creatures. We can't live unless God causes us to live. And any choice, any choice of independence from God is suicidal. That's the lesson here. That's the teaching here. And culturally, we want shortcuts regularly to independence from God. It kind of gives us a sense of security. Absurdly, but it does. We want a buffering in our lives. And if we can have enough physical accoutrements around us, then we start to feel comfortable and and we start to feel more relaxed. If I can just have a, a growing bank account, if I can just have lots of material things around me that, that are there for a rainy day, then I can sort of relax and sit down on my uh, chaise lounge and, and, and take it easy. And we like this buffer around us. And Jesus says, man does not live by this buffer around you, but by dependence upon the living God. This is a a massive and important lesson for us in the areas of temptation and testing us for loyalty to Christ. Those who are loyal to Jesus trade self-reliance for total dependence on God every time. That's what it requires. And so in making a decision on any decision, you have to ask the question, is this decision going to cause me to be more dependent upon God or less dependent upon Him and more reliant on myself? That's loyal decision-making because the material loan is never enough, not ever. Well, there's a second test here, a second temptation, and this one reaches into the level of emotions. It's a, it's, Satan, I suppose, was thinking through this and said, if, it, if I can't get at him through the flesh, then maybe I can work on his emotions. And um, you may be susceptible to this. Most of us are. This is a, generally a higher level uh, that he, he moved toward. The temptation to doubt God's care and twist the text. You'll note that he, I, again, uh, recognizes that Jesus is going to use Scripture. So, well, if it's Scripture you want to use, then it's Scripture we'll use, is what Satan basically does here. And by the way, he, he will be quite willing to to feed you scripture. He knows more scripture than any of us know in here. I'm pretty sure. And so he'll be happy to use scripture. Um, He'll pull a text out and, and throw it in your face and put it to the test. But you can count on the fact that he will twist the text or he will pull it out of context, which is why 
everybody pretty much who teaches on this platform is always pushing the issue or in our Sunday school classes or anywhere around here, we're always pushing context. We're always saying, what does this really mean in the setting that it's in? Don't just pull this thing out. Because he pulls this thing out of the midst of Psalm 91 and completely abuses it. And we're going to look at that for a second. It's to manipulate the emotions of Jesus. And he uses this to manipulate our emotions as well. Remember what he did with Eve in the garden. He started talking to her about God's word. Did God really say, you know, is God really going to do? You know God's not going to, you're not going to die. What God is up to is he wants to hold something back from you, Eve. He, he doesn't want you to know the good and evil and all. He doesn't want you to be like God. That, he's holding something back from you. Starts to get into her head, into her emotions. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't really love you that much. God is holding something back from you. You wouldn't be in this predicament at this point, Eve, if, if God really loved you. He would give you everything. You would have it all. He's holding back. And so the test starts to move into our emotions. And he does this with us. We might be in a really horrible scenario or real troubling time or an extended time of testing. And, and uh, that voice comes into our head, well, maybe God doesn't care about you or maybe he can't really look after you well enough. You know, I know you've been taught all those promises from the platform of Calvary, but I'm not sure that, where are they all? How come they're not happening in your life? He wants us to get down on God. He wants us to start to wonder about God's abilities, about God's care, about God's nature. Remember, for the most part, Satan already knows he's lost this battle. He knows he's bad. By the way, when he says, if you are the son of God, you think Satan didn't know who he was? This is not a question of if. He knew precisely who he was. He's bottom line saying, since you are the son of God, I want to run some tests by you, some proof by you. And it's the same with us. You think he comes to us and says, if you're really a believer, although that, that voice is heard in our heads regularly, if you're really a believer, you think he doesn't know who we are? He knows who we are. And so he comes, you know, if you're a believer and if you're, you're saved by Jesus Christ and if God is so powerful and all that in your life, how come you're in this situation? If God really loved you, I don't think you'd be in this situation. If God really cared for you, I'm sure you would be out of this long ago. Maybe God isn't really even able to do what you've been told he's able to do. And so he starts to play in our minds. This is a temptation uh, with respect to our emotions that we might start to bail on God emotionally. And that's a pretty powerful place to go. And so he says to, to, to the Son of God, if you are who God says you are, then let's test God's promise to protect you. Let's see what the Father can do. After all, you're at the very front end of your earthly ministry. How do you know God can look after you? How do you know the Father's going to take care of you in these critical moments of your life? You better, you better run a test on, on him. See if he's really who he says he is before you take one more step in the direction that he seems to be pointing you in. It's to test the credibility of God. Temptation to manipulate God, it's a, it's a reverse sovereignty thing. Think about this for a moment. What if God became puppet to our emotional makeup? Think about the state of this universe. If every time my emotions got completely unglued, I could put God to the test and say, if you really loved me, 
you would have me out of this situation within the next five minutes. Who's really sovereign now? God or me? If God becomes a puppet to our emotions. So go ahead, son of God. Take a swan dive off the temple. It'll be pretty spectacular and it's a good way to begin your ministry. Because after all, Psalm 91 says that God has to save you. That's not what Psalm 91 is saying. If we read Psalm 91, we will realize that it's a, it's a wonderful, comforting psalm to God's people that in the normal course of serving the living God, there is no power or danger on earth that can uh, uproot you or damage you or devastate you outside of the will of God. It doesn't invite us to take presumptuous leaps off 40-story buildings. Go ahead and try it. I'm pretty certain God won't save you. Because God will not be manipulated by our emotions. He's God. And he retains that position no matter what state we're in. Because by the way, he knows the state you're in. He, he's God. He's permitted the situation that's coming. Listen, there's two reasons that you're in a really bad state. Either by sin you've put yourself there. Or because God has allowed you to be there. And by the way, it really is only one state. Because even if you've put yourself there, God's allowing you to be there for whatever time. He's allowing this test, this trial, to work its way in your life. And so this is really a test of being dissatisfied. It's really, it's really a test that ultimately reveals our spiritual insecurity, not our security in God. The um, televangelists have learned how to work this temptation very well. Go ahead. Empty out your bank account and give it to me. Because then God will have to give you a hundred or a thousand times what you've given to me. Can you please show me anywhere where God has ever promised that? Now admittedly, God has said, test me in the areas of faithful giving. But we don't hold God sovereignly hostage. So it's some form of new investment. If I give God more, he has to give me more. That's putting God to the test. That's presumptuous. The essence of faith is taking God at his word and obeying without any spectacular confirmation. Jesus simply said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So it really, to be honest, doesn't matter how many explanations I give you this morning or how much verbal gyration I do, to be honest. In fact, the last... 10 minutes of what I've just said to you really didn't even need to be said. It's a command. Don't do it. Don't ever put God to the test presumptuously. That's not faithful living. That's insecurity spiritually. Don't do it. Those loyal to Jesus do not require any more proof of his love or who he is than they already have. They live by faith, not by religious sideshows. This is crucial in this time of, 
and history in evangelicalism. There's a lot of bad teaching in this area, a lot of bad uh, suggestions and practice. God wants us to live in faith, trusting him, and not to be tempted by, at the level of our emotions, to think God can't, doesn't care for us or can't help us. That'll be devastating in your life. Well, the final area that um, is, uh, is the final temptation here that's demonstrated, the final type of temptation, the final appeal, is to ambition. The temptation to struggle with deferring present gratification and glory to come. You know, um, all of these ifs to the Son of Man, the Son of God by Satan, were... Um, uh, we're in some ways uh, Satan's uh, goad to, uh, to try and push Jesus to his prerogatives as the Son of God. In other words, you know, um, why don't you just show off? Why don't you just prove to me who you are? I mean, Jesus knew full well that Satan knew who he was and didn't fall for this, but, but we regularly fall for it. Flattery to exercise our own power since we are something in Christ, to exercise our prerogatives. It worked well on Eve and Adam. To Eve, you know, Satan comes and says, hey, it looks good, it'll, be, it'll probably taste good, and it'll advance your ambitions. I mean, this is what you want. You'll be like God. It's an appeal to our significance is this, test, this temptation. The need for gratification now. It worked very well in the Garden of Eden to, to tempt in the area of ambitions. In fact, even in, in Joseph's case, at the very beginning here, when, when he found out that Mary was with child before they had, had, uh, were married, it, it says that, that he thought about it in the early part of or the middle of chapter one. He thought about it and he thought, you know, um, how can I make sure that both of our lives go along smoothly? And so he thought about uh, divorcing her, but he thought about doing it quietly so that in some ways that, you know, they can minimize the trauma and, and the messiness for both. And admittedly, um, I, I don't want to smear Joseph's character because the, the text doesn't try to do that. Um, Joseph was a righteous man and, and all of that, but, but uh, it is a natural instinct for us to, to try to find the... The, 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 the least messy way out of our lives, what you don't see here is him going to God and asking what he should do. He kind of thinks and says, well, this, this seems like a good idea. This is what I'm going to do. And God has to intervene if you, if you read the text. God intervenes by sending the angel of the Lord because Joseph is about to do something, make a decision that's a very bad decision. You see that? And there's some play, play there on ambition and significance, I would think about how it was going to continue on in their lives. And so he comes to, he, the Satan comes to the Son of God and says, you can have all the stuff in the world if you'll just transfer loyalty away from the Heavenly Father. You see that? I'll give you all this if you will bow down and worship me. The big lure of ambition, the big lure of significance, the big lure of fame and fortune. The entertainment industry. 
You know, as I've been, um, as I've been studying the culture around us a little bit, it seems to me that, that uh, one of Satan's uh, richest harvest fields in the area of entertainment is the church of Jesus Christ. The whole issue of fame and fortune and entertainment. He plunders from the Sunday schools of evangelical churches. Do we not realize that Whitney Houston grew up in Sunday school? Avril Lavigne grew up in Sunday school? Jessica Simpson grew up in Sunday school? Katy Perry grew up in Sunday school? Justin Bieber grew up in Sunday school? Evangelical Sunday schools, by the way. Here, take your ability and I'll give you the whole world as long as you turn your loyalty away from Jesus Christ. Now, um, most of us in here probably can't even relate to the talent level of, or however you want to view it, of what the names of the people I've just mentioned. But there's a more subtle and equally deadly strategy that Satan employs in the evangelical church. In decision making, there is a present danger among us to over-medicate ourselves on our freedoms what we can do, what we can have, rather than what we should do or should have. Since you are a believer, you are free in Christ. The gospel has set you free. It seems to me that Satan is weaseling his way into this area of our lives in terms of ambition and significance and having the stuff of this world in the smorgasbord of God's good things God's people are dining increasingly on the dessert of freedom and bypassing the main course of holiness set apartness we are being freed, but not so much spiritually focused or spiritually fit. Watch this wrestling move that Satan is pulling on us. In our race away from legalism, Satan is using that against us to push us all the way over to license. And we don't seem to know where the balance place is. Freedom, we can freedom ourselves to minimal spiritual usability. You see, if Satan can't deliver you away, he can at least dilute your usefulness. This is what this is all about. I'll give you all of this. Listen, he wasn't giving Jesus anything he couldn't have had. In fact, he wasn't offering Jesus anything that he won't have, ultimately. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the kingdoms of the world belong to Christ. 
Ultimately, all of earth and all of the kingdoms will be bowing and confessing that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This just wasn't the right time or the right place. And it certainly wasn't the right loyalty. What, what Satan was offering here, watch, is a shortcut to bypass God's holy journey. And, and lots of us are buying that. We're rushing there. We want to rush to the gratification now. We want it all now. We want to have everything now. We, we, we're, we're called upon to live a holy life now, to be set apart for God's usefulness, to say no more often than we say yes. We've lost the barometer for that. It's not always can we, it's sometimes and regularly should we. Well, wait a minute, didn't Paul say it's all permissible for us? Well, if you want to pull that out of context and stop reading, but he said not everything is beneficial. So how did the Lord God decide here? How did the Son of God decide? His criterion, his grid was this, worshiping the Lord and serving him only. And our question has to be this in decision-making in this area of ambition. Does this stuff take me away from the Lord or does it cause me to worship Him and serve Him more? That's the huge question. Those loyal to Jesus make decisions by how that choice advances worship of God and service to the Lord their God. Will this decision make me more spiritually useful to Christ or less useful? Oh, I'm free. But if I'm not useful to the Lord, my freedom has become a, an anchor to my heart. Be careful about our ambitions, our significance, wanting it all. Jesus' decision-making style was to value the word of God, the ways of God, and the will of God more than any offers of personal comfort or conveniences. And those loyal to him like Joseph followed the same pattern. When the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, stop the idea of divorce, it's not God's will for you. Joseph immediately arrested himself and decided to take the harder pathway which was to raise the son of God now you might say wait a second that's a great privilege yes it is but think about this in all of those years in that town of Nazareth there was nothing but rumor and innuendo of this Mary and Joseph who hold themselves out as so righteous having conceived of a child out of marriage and Joseph knew full well that in choosing God's will, he was choosing a more difficult pathway. Less comfort, less convenience, the harder way. Not the ambitious way. So let me summarize this and wind it up for us. We're going to have some good conversations tonight in our discipleship communities, I'm sure. 
And so I don't want to take away from that, but I want to set, up, set it up. Here's what will happen in your life almost invariably. Satan will opportunistically swoop into your life when things are rocky. And he will usually offer you an external trade-up. But it will always cost you loyalty to Christ. So we must learn, as God's people, to keep the compass setting of our heart at true north, which means loyalty to Jesus Christ no matter what. And what does that look like? What did it look like for him to be loyal to his Father in heaven? There are four important questions that must roll out. The first is this, is this God's will? Jesus knew that it was God's will for him to experience the fullness of humanity, not to get himself out of a jam with a miracle. And you only get this kind of thing by walking with the Father daily. To know the will of God, you have to know God. You have to walk with him. You have to know, understand his journey and what he wants for you and how you are usable in his, in, his, uh, in his kingdom. The second question is this, is this God's word? It's communication from God and not somebody yanking a text out and throwing it all twisted at you. You need to know God's word in its context and then apply it to your lives. Apply it to your de decision making. The third question is this. Is this moving me toward or away from the right ways of Christ? This is the righteousness test. And the final and fourth is this. Is this making me more or less usable to Christ? This is the holiness test. You run every decision by these four questions. And you will be making decisions that are loyal to Jesus Christ. Random living never produces loyalty to Christ. Jesus lived intentionally loyal to the Father. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning for bringing us here together, loving us this much that you would tell us this, that you would make sure we know how to live lives of loyalty before you, that you would show us what temptations look like and how they come at us. God, you've equipped us in a powerful way by your word and through the Spirit of God. So I pray this morning that we will not um, allow this to go away from us, but that, Father, your word would make strong application in our lives and that we would, from this point forward, uh, take our decision-making more seriously than we ever have that we might live as loyal children to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope to the Lord that I haven't made this too clinical this morning because this is not some sort of easy strategy or tactic that you just check off the list and you think you can pull this off. This is a very, very in-depth and... and, and um, passionate spiritual reality this this temptation experience with Christ was was a, a, a deeply um, moving and and a powerful moment of, of conflict and and spiritual battle like we face in our own lives 
You know, each of us are, are susceptible in one of these areas, maybe several of them. I mean, you know, we, we need to think about uh, whether or not it's, it's the flesh that is where we really fail in terms of temptation, our, our tendency to do on our own or to trust on our own, or, or, or whether it's at the emotional level where we're constantly needing confirmation of our spiritual insecurities. Or, that, or maybe, it's, maybe it's at the level of ambition where we really rely on stuff and we want to, we want to have all of, the, all of the gratification and blessings of everything now. And I don't know where it is for you, but, but keep in mind that before Christ entered into this moment, he fasted for 40 days and nights. This required great spiritual preparation. It is important that you get the right questions in your decision-making, but it is even more important that you're in the right spiritual space with God in order to win this victory. So it's about the heart. It's about making sure that you have a really strong, passionate commitment to Christ as your Lord and King. And then employing these strategies will be victorious. It just doesn't work as a strategy that you pull out by flesh. It won't work that way. So I encourage you this morning to amp up your heart before God and then follow through as Christ has shown victory. And you will know victory as well. I pray, Lord, this in your great and powerful name that we will understand that this is by the power of God's Spirit in our lives, working in our lives, to be victorious over temptation, that by the test of our faith we might be strengthened for Jesus' sake, Lord. I pray it may be so in our congregation. Amen.